football on off the ball with sky all the football you love in one place across sky sports bt sport and premier sports now you're welcome along football show philippe Claire will join us very shortly mick and arthur have popped into studio rumors abound of a slight tangent tomorrow just can't we'll pack no this in here no <laughs> we couldn't possibly Second half has just started at Anfield. Liverpool 1, Everton 0 is where we are. Mo Salah on 37 minutes. Not Jordan Pickford's finest Oh my God. If you haven't seen this goal, yeah, it was just Jordan Pickford's classic. So Everton nearly score. Yeah, hit the post. Tarkovsky with a brilliant header from a corner. Wax the post. Like, think the Chiefs guy last night. Doink, you know, as they call it in American football. Liverpool... Everton have another couple of chances. It breaks out eventually for a classic Liverpool counter-attack. They're, you know, well-stretched at the back. It might have been a goal anyway. But the ball comes in from Nunes, from the left-hand side. Jordan Pickford thinks the right-sided player for Liverpool, I'm not exactly sure who it was, is the person that this ball is going to, and drifts all the way out to his left, Mm. to the goal. Meanwhile, Mo Salah is going, this ball's actually for me, and comes in around the penalty spot and just kicks it into an empty goal. As Pickford is... Five yards over to like his right. Glitch. It was like a glitch in FIFA or something. It doesn't make any sense. Why is he so far out of line? How did he misjudge the flight? Uh, well, badly? It's Jordan Pickford. Either you know? he didn't see Salah or he misjudged the flight. God, he had to have seen Salah was right. Like the, these lads were only about <laughs> two or three feet apart. <laughs> it's like a glitch. <laughs> it was awful. Like it's hilarious when you see it. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Are we attributing any blame to James Coleman cross coming in from his side or no? Ah, no, it was all on the stretch. I don't even know. Like they were so out of shape. Like it was one of those. Like there was ten people in the ten Everton players in the box almost. You know, so everybody was booting it back as fast as they could. Uh, you know, which I think again, it's one of those things that I think if Pickford had read it right, I think Salah still would have scored. You know, it was wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't one of those howlers that you know cost the team a goal it was just very funny to see mm. it made no sense as, as Arthur says a glitch on FIFA is probably the best way to Dean describe Anderson it Anderson did something a few years ago like that didn't he in, for Man United I recall Liverpool might have beaten United 2-0 and they scored late on and Henderson as well is, it was like one of those things where it's like why are you standing so far over mm. and Henderson, Salah just passed it into us an empty net but um, yeah we'll uh, chat in a bit more detail with Philippe about the weekend that was Two aspects loom large. Manchester City fans are, are going to war with the Premier League. There's no sense of, ah, gee, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I mean, who knows what happened? Oh, go, go Liverpool, go Liverpool. Gakpo, Gakpo, yeah. Two nil, forty-eight minutes on the clock. Easiest to finish his back post, and uh, he tapped in from three, four yards. This wasn't a Jordan Pickford glitch. To be fair, it was a really great ball in. I presume it's from Alexander Arnold on the right-hand side. I just saw the ball going in across low and it was so brilliant, I presume, it's him. And in fact, some of his teammates are I was actually watching the match and I just looked away because I thought, this looks terrible on TV. I'm completely ignoring Joe looking away from him and then I missed the goal. Yeah. So this is, that'll t- teach me to be professional. Everton in possession, it's another counter-attack-ish from Liverpool. Certainly moving the ball with a bit more intent and speed and uh, that's Robertson, I presume, who spreads the play. You have Alexander-Arnold on the overlap and then... Maybe outside. As he can... They'll do the lines. They'll do the lines if they don't forget If they don't forget to do them. Well, indeed. As he can, he finds the it's corridor onside. of uncertainty, Michael. Yeah, corridor of uncertainty, the back post, and Gakpo puts it away. It is onside. Yes. Um, and it is 2-0 to Liverpool. And, you know, look, as an Aston Villa fan, I know that, the, the, that we are the kings of it, of inviting. You're not in form? Come on, we're coming to town or you're coming to Villa Park. Mm. Everton aren't the worst for that sort of thing either. Uh, and I'm sure Everton, I'm sure Liverpool, 
<laughs> we're delighted to be playing a Merseyside derby tonight after the worst run of form I can remember in my living memory anyway. Where was I? Any sense that Manchester City fans would be somewhat cowed, yes. embarrassed, you know, glancing at their feet, um, put to bed, they're going to war and in the grand tradition of booing the UEFA anthem, they now are booing the Premier League anthem. What's that you say? The Premier League has an anthem? Yeah. It does. It's just not very catchy or memorable. Yeah. But I'm sure lots of executives in marketing departments there were paid lots of money. <laughs> Do you know where you would hear it most commonly? If you watch your Premier League highlights on YouTube. Okay. It's a bit like the Sig tune. It's there. And tailed. It's there and you'd be like, oh yeah, that's like a sample of yeah. the anthem. I'm generally not paying much attention when they're doing the handshakes at the start to kind of like line it up like as if it's a national yeah. anthem. It's like I, I'm either not watching it or I'm not paying attention. So I don't know this tune. Premier League handshakes aren't of no. Champions League stature. Uh, so they booed that roundly. Yeah. And then eventually Pep walked out of the tunnel and to raucous cheers. He's following his lead though. That's actually a, a, a fair way of, of framing it. I mean, he has positioned himself as defender in chief. He certainly hasn't kicked to touch the way managers might, the way an Eddie Howe might kick to touch on issues like this, for instance. Off the field, nothing to do with me. And so he's hailed as... I suppose he, he is the acceptable face of Manchester City for fans. He's the greatest manager of his and maybe several other generations. He has said this is borderline conspiracy. Yeah. And so when he walks out, he has such stock and credit in the bank for them. I mean, he's gone to further levels because he's almost absolved Manchester City. There's a degree of, well, Pep Guardiola, his stature in the game couldn't be higher. He's defended us. So for them, I mean, you can imagine how heroic he's become. And the fact that he even veered into territory that wasn't his own time. Like, I thought that Gerard thing was in pretty odd taste. Strange. It was like, why are you in He wasn't even the manager. No. Like, I, I don't understand that part of it. Is it. You could almost, that type of thing was like, when I heard that, it was like, okay, if he was saying that about Barcelona in similar circumstances, you'd go, fine. But, I, and maybe it's sincere on his behalf, but I've always felt that that kind of Guardiola and City it's like it's, it's a marriage of convenience he needed somewhere to go yeah. they desperately wanted him I've always kind of felt he must think Ugh, like this is a bit unbecoming to yeah. end up at City but this here doesn't I mark what I've done like, you know yeah. so I, I, was, I found it a bit baffling that he would go back into the past to start his whole he does that a lot though his explanations he gets a lot of credit for coming out fighting and, but what he's saying doesn't make any sense did you hear him talk about like Paul Dickoff and Mike Summerby you rightly don't understand it because it didn't really make any sense he was like you know what are you going to do you're going to relegate us you're going to put us down to the championship fine we'll be okay we'll come back we'll, we'll call Paul Dickoff and Mike Summerby that's <laughs> <laughs> like Mike Summerby's like 85 years old but uh, and also I feel like Paul Dickoff is doing well to go on like a like any list of former Manchester City legends but certainly alongside Mike Summerby yeah. and there's only two of them somewhere in Kildare Niall Quinn went Jesus <laughs> I think Paul Dickoff famously was with them when they were in the lower leagues. They were. Yeah. I, I would have got Sean Goder though. The goat. Yeah. Feed him and he'll score. The absence of any logic on the Stephen Gerrard point was hard to fathom. Yeah. It just seemed pretty classless, didn't it? it was yeah, I, like I didn't feel like it was a a, a dig at Gerrard, ha ha ha, but just like the notion that well Gerrard slipped, therefore it's nothing to do with our money. But I mean the obvious point is the money w uh, positioned you that to take advantage of a Gerrard slip. I mean, there's a reason you were in joint first slash second, as opposed to in fifth. So it was a, a mute point, if ever there was one. You started off talking about the fans. Like, you do realise we're part of a media conspiracy 
But uh, Arsenal, Manchester United and Liverpool have controlled the narrative and we are feeding into it. Oh no, I was at the Zoom meeting where that was agreed. Yeah, I know, yeah. So, did you oh, not go? Oh, was that, did I just say the <laughs> silent part out loud? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was no, in your like, team's uh, diary there the month. You're talking about City fans like going all in, that's at the ground. Like they were, they were vociferous and loud and obnoxious, I would say, and, uh, yesterday. But that's fine. That's kind of what you expect in the ground. That's that's what all teams fans would be. Sure. But it's the kind of it's the fighting on Twitter, and it's the it's the kind of respectable, you know, fan type, the kind of like the podcasting type, the media person, the calling out. Like I mean, I saw Melissa Reddy got went and did the same report that everybody else did on Sky Sports. Mm kind of like the you know discussing it and got like absolutely tore down by you know a few kind of like highish profile Manchester City accounts that would basically you know usual social media setting selling people to the wolves you know so it was kind of I thought there was a lot of there was a lot of unseemly stuff I would say over the weekend and in terms of like they're coming out fighting we see them bet booing the Premier League anthem whatever mm. but it's leading into all this sort of online stuff as well where it very much is an us against them and there's a mad conspiracy and Manchester United and Liverpool are controlling the narrative because they don't like us coming in and doing this but there's no sense of the actual conversation about what's happened mm. you know the Premier League have trumped up these charges you know but it's as clear as day that whatever about the charges and we'll deal with them in time sure like it's obvious the financial change that has come in Manchester City obviously since 2009 anyway so there's but it's like as if that doesn't even exist mm. in this conversation mm. you know it was weird hard work has been undermined basically you know? have you caught it yesterday during that game the City Aston Villa game as well they were talking they kind of loosely veered into it somewhere in the second half I think and Jeff Shree's kind of t- not Jeff Shree sorry Martin Tyler talked about it and then Gary Neville made the point of calling the Premier League embarrassing for having taken four years to come up with these things and, and Tyler kind of had to go to him and was like well they did say Man City were very unbecoming and it's like that's just I'm just reporting that's not my f- opinion Yeah, uncooperative like, embarrassing Yeah, was like, why are you taking a dig at them it's like what's the what? it's very odd there's a lot of sort of I don't it's, it's going to be very interesting when this keeps playing out where people fall and things I don't know if you caught the joke as well at the end of the coverage there was a great, it was funny, it was from Neville again. And it was Neville, Carrig- Neville Keane and Richards were in the studio. And they were showing, they're throwing ahead to that documentary that the city won about, I think, when they came up from the playoffs or whatever. We we were never here or something like that. They're not, not really here. And Neville and the thing says, it might be the case again. Mm. And it really seemed to irritate Richards a bit. And he kind of had to, he, he kept laughing, but he kept turning around, am I joking? Am I joking? Like it was kind of like, Gary, Gary. <laughs> it's just it's going to be amazing mm. it'll be amazing just drama I hadn't heard any criticism of the length of the investigation the four years until you made until yeah. Neville called it embarrassing Covid as well Covid sure and uh, lack of cooperation perhaps from City and also I presume having seen what happened at UEFA and CAS the Premier League understand if you're going to come at the King mm. etc you have to have your ducks in a row and they only have 20 analogies that I mix up there <laughs> I don't know <laughs> they only have 20 bodies to answer to yeah. And if you're going to take on the biggest, one of the biggest ones, certainly the wealthiest, you know, yes. give or take, you'd want to have everything pretty spot on. Well, on that note, Sorry. we will uh, bring in Mr. Uh, Philippe Auclair, who's waiting patiently. Good evening, Philippe. Good evening to you. So uh, the Manchester City story is uh, a week old only at this stage. Uh, we have seen Pep Guardiola uh, double down in his uh, defence 
uh, at his Friday press conference and we've certainly seen the uh, fans make their feelings towards the Premier League anthem very, very clear. So I suppose this is the uh, uh, first uh, moments of what would be a long, painful, protracted case. Yes, and I think what you can expect is that things are probably going to go in the background in, in not too long. Um, because we had the announcement, so therefore we have huge amount of media attention. Then we had the press conference in which Pep Guardiola, as you said, um, the ball down was incredibly aggressive, actually, I thought. And also, um, it has to be said, said some things which are simply not correct. He's either badly informed or he expressed himself in a way that he perhaps shouldn't have. But I think it's going to um, disappear in the background quite quickly because the process, despite the fact that the clubs the other clubs would like this matter to be resolved as quickly as possible for obvious reasons of sporting integrity, if anything else, if nothing else. Uh, unfortunately, um, the indications are that it might take much longer than what was hoped to be uh, end of the season or before the beginning of next season. Mm. And it looks like we're looking at a much, much more protracted um, legal uh, dispute because the problem is that 115 different charges, well, if you want to delay the proceedings or if you want to make it sure that it takes as much time as possible, it's quite easy uh, because you go into great detail for for absolutely every single one of those 115 charges. Yes. It's going to be complicated. So which is why I'm expecting, you know, the this um, what we have at the moment, um, the media whirlwind and the attention placed on Manchester City's uh, alleged misdemeanors to recede in the background uh, unless, of course, uh, should they win the, the Premier League, I think there might be some interesting reactions to that. Yeah. But we'll see. No, I dare mm. say you're right. Guardiola is obviously a very interesting figure in all of this. Back in May of last year, and, and the quotes resurfaced naturally enough this week, he talked about how he had sought assurances mm. from the club and he, he said, if it turns out, and I said it to them, if it turns out that you're lying to me, I won't be your friend anymore, was the way he yeah. put it. And he emerged on Friday and he certainly didn't kick to touch in a similar way. He became, uh, he assumed the role of defender in chief. Uh, he has taken a huge amount of his reputation in doing so. And you wonder what assurances he's been given because, uh, you know, akin to uh, a player, uh, you know, uh, committing a foul or diving and then, uh, you know, celebrating or, or not celebrating and knowing that VAR will ultimately uh, show them up. <laughs> you know, Pep yes. can be very strong right now and he gets, you know, he's lauded when he walks out at the Etihad, but VAR is coming. Well, we'll get on to VAR. <laughs> a functioning, uh, we hope, VAR is coming. Is coming. And so, you know, if... if, yes. if Pep sort of better be right here because to, to, to double down the way he has is an interesting move. Well, yes, but I'm I'm not that surprised that he did that. Um, he can be quite a prickly character, as I think any journalist who's ever attended one of his press conferences or dared to ask um, an inconvenient question will testify. Uh, he's obviously been given assurances by the club and by his employers. Um, but also, I think there is um, a part of it, I think he's become impervious to that kind of criticism and as like very much, the, I would say the Manchester City um, galaxy has become, in a way, you know, it's been in place for a very long time. It's been part of the hierarchy for a very long time, indeed. Mm. And um, I think at one point, I think when people are 
in a situation where basically they're not questioned, um, in a situation when they are protected, they develop this yes imperviousness to to truth and to reality at times. Yeah. I know. I, I and, did, it did uh, cross my mind if there there must be an echo chamber aspect to life at Man City. Mm, yes, I mean it's a very strange club. I mean it's a very unique club because we should never forget, by the way, that Manchester City is only one of a dozen clubs which are part of this galaxy of the City Football Group, which is a dimension of of the debate that nobody has really quite touched upon yeah. uh, because it's pretty obvious that the whole project and it's a huge project. Uh, is based, I mean, the foundation stone is Manchester City in England. Uh, should they get into serious trouble, um, the whole project would actually be seen in a completely different light and would be endangered. Uh, it's it's a real existential threat, which might also explain why the reaction has been so harsh uh, from uh, from Manchester City and, and from, as you say, this defender-in-chief, Pep Guardiola. Um, so... The stakes are, are so high that, in a way, I suppose, he, felt, he feels compelled to behave in such a way. But, you know, it's not the first time that Pep Guardiola has said things which denoted a certain... Um, that he didn't quite read the room properly. It's not the first time in his career at Manchester City, or indeed before uh, as a manager, that um, he has said things which, for him, um, are pretty obvious. And, and he doesn't... Kim- it doesn't seem to care very much what others are thinking of what he's saying, to be mm. absolutely honest. And neither do they. I mean, they, they're they a behemoth. They're, you know, they, they crush everything which is placed in front of them, um, certainly in the sporting sense. And when you develop that, perhaps you develop a sense of invincibility. Mm. And as well, I'm, I'm not too sure. I mean, one of the things which, which surprised me is that I can understand that he would come up in defense of his club and, and saying, oh, many people are finding us guilty before, uh, you know, the, the panel has deliberated, then the verdict has been reached. But that's not what he said. He actually said things like we've been proved innocent at the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is simply untrue. Yes. That's not the case. It was but, thrown out because of the statute of limitations. Yeah, Everybody and, knows and that. And that's what I find so interesting about his position, because, you know, I, I, he must know that because everybody knows that. That's a that's a, a kind of the most infamous aspect of that cast ruling. So he must know that. And even just a, a okay, there's there's what the hierarchy have told him, but he must have read about the Mancini <laughs> arrangement, for instance, in Der Spiegel. Yes. And he must think to himself, I mean, it has been uh, it has been quite the decade at Man City. You know, there's been a lot of money. I just well, you know, yes. maybe you know, but but like. And that's where I felt his head was in May of 22. That was a very reasonable, under the circumstances, a response mm. on his part, I thought, that I've sought assurances, yes. I trust these people, and they've given me assurances. If they're lying to me, I've told them we're done. And I thought that, you know what, it's it's not perfection, but it's not a bad way of handling those questions. So I don't know what's happened in the last... Um, um, eight nine months, but that 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 it just I, how no one in his world is saying, well, you know, tread softly here. It's not beyond the bounds. Well, yes, and also the fact that he actually named quite a few clubs and a few people, including Daniel Levy of Tottenham, yeah, as being almost the instigators of a cabal uh, against Manchester City, 
it's quite extraordinary. I was half expecting charges to be brought, you know, bringing the game into disrepute when he said that. I mean, if I if I were Daniel Levy, I would be very very angry about this, very angry. Yeah. And um, but you know, it was said in the heat of the moment. Perhaps sometimes he can be a very passionate man, and and you know, we know, you know, and I know that you know, and everybody knows that we know that you know that we know, and so on. That <laughs> there are loads of things that we can't talk about openly yet, and we've got to wait for the due process to to be. Uh, but I think people can can read what was in the Spiegel, can uh, also read about the charges we were brought by UEFA and make up their own mind mm. and think, you know, at least have some kind of opinion or informed opinion. But we shall see. I mean, let's hope in any case that we don't have to wait like three or four years before we get to the end of this. Uh, let's hope it's going to be much, much quicker. Because to be honest, yes, sporting integrity is also at, at, at risk here. Mm. She's one thing we shouldn't forget. Well, because, that, you know, it depends. When the decision is taken, imagine that should the charges be found to have credibility and yeah. Manchester City be punished in the way that the severity of this of the alleged breaches um, would lead us to believe, that it wouldn't be a fine. It would be much, much bigger than that. Mm. Obviously, points deduction, perhaps even <laughs> a, um, yeah, transfer to the to the championship or to the league and whatever the league would do heaven knows so this is very very serious mm. and imagine the impact it would have on other clubs and i'm thinking about clubs who might hope to qualify for the champions league if manchester city who is a regular in the top four they finish fifth that season when do you make decisions that you know when do you actually communicate the decision which it's it is a minefield and I have to say, I, I was listening to you earlier on, and I think that even though I was myself very frustrated by how long it took the Premier League to actually do something or to say what they were doing, um, I can perfectly understand that they wanted to be absolutely 100% sure of yeah. their case before going public. Yeah. And, and, and the way that they actually announced uh, their decision uh, to charge Manchester City was in a way a typical and exemplary of the way they've been proceeding in as much that Manchester City had no prior warning about that. And I think that indicates the Premier League are very, very serious about it, but they're also very cautious about it, which is totally understandable. I mean, I, a, a funny thing, you know, I use, like many of my colleagues, uh, I used to email the Premier League like every three or four months asking them, uh, where are you at exactly with the Manchester City case? And every time I got the same answer, it was a cut and paste email, which was the response to my very first email in 2019. This is still what I was getting like three months ago. It was a cut and paste from an email that was four years old almost. Mm. And so it was it was completely waterproof. They, they wanted nothing to leak. Because the other thing, if things are leaking, you endanger the whole process. Yeah. Because you don't, want to, you don't want to have a trial by public opinion or by the media, which then afterwards the defendant could say, hey, come on, guys. I think you're a bit biased here because of what has been said about us, which is hap is what happened in part to the UEFA yes. investigation when one of the people who were involved, you will remember that, yes, went public about it before the decision had been taken. And that was a very, very big mistake to make in the circumstances. Yes, very fair points. I think the watertight aspect of the investigation is uh, a rarity, actually, and, and very impressive in some respects. Yep.
the hype train is and we're like oh my god this is terrible we're uh, so good can we just stop that crap Ireland could win the World Cup let's be honest oh Shane we could no why are we so afraid of this OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app still 2-0 mm-hmm. Liverpool 68 minutes on the clock things are heating up on the pitch Manchester City Arsenal on Wednesday more than captures the eye City have had a curious yeah. couple of weeks. Uh, the departure of <laughs> Cancelo and De Bruyne on the bench and the loss to Spurs. They were better at the weekend against Aston Villa. Uh, Arsenal, uh, more than just curious on the pitch, uh, a wobble, one point from six. I know you were at the uh, Brentford game. We'll come to VAR in a yeah. moment. But just in general terms, Philippe, uh, the psychology of this group, uh, do they strike you as a, as a manager and a group of players who will accept that pretty much every Premier League campaign, even even one of, of a champion, has bumps and bruises and 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 uh, poor moments, or will a certain stage fright set in on the back of these two games? I don't think that we've seen that what we've seen against Everton and Brentford uh, was stage fright. I, I don't think so. Uh, I think the nature of the opposition must be recognised. They played Everton probably at the worst possible time, you know, when a new manager just just came in, yeah. and a manager who knows Arsenal inside out and knows how to play against Arsenal as well inside out, and then against uh, a very 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 good Brentford side, uh, which is basically fighting for a place in Europe next year, and two teams which, by the way, do something that Manchester City won't be doing on on Wednesday, and something which actually. Uh, presents problems for this particular Arsenal side. I think the problem is more sporting and uh, on the pitch than than off the pitch. They both play with very low blocks. And I think Arsenal find it very difficult to play against teams which have got low blocks. They've struggled before this season against uh, in similar circumstances. Against Manchester City, I don't think they will have that particular problem. In fact, it would be quite the opposite. And they're, they're an opponent which, regardless of, the, of, the, of their class and, and their quality, in a way, their game is better suited to what Arsenal are doing. And I don't feel really um, that there is a such a, a, a big drop. I think it's more of a wobble, turbulence, you know, not a crash. Mm. Um, they were actually better against Brentford than they were against Everton. And especially in the second half, which is one thing that Mikel Arteta will probably take heart from. Um, and the other thing as well, you know, you have, would we say the same thing? Would we have the same discourse? If, unfortunately uh, for them, and fortunately for Brentford, we didn't have a, a massive meltdown of uh, of VAR and of the refereeing in in that particular in the particular game, um, would we? I'm not so sure about it. Mm. We tend to be uh, very much, you know, looking at oh, that's the result, so that's what it means. Yes, no, that's and fair. having been at the game. I thought Brentford were absolutely terrific in the first half, by the way. And if they had been leading by one or two goals to nil, nobody would have had anything to say about it. Um, but then Arsenal had a proper reaction and started to play like they have done in the past few months. So I'm not right now too bothered uh, for them uh, in terms of, oh, they're, they're having, a pro- having big problems and so forth. Some players look a little bit um, just on the blunt side. I'm thinking particularly, uh, in particular of uh, Gabriel Martinelli, who has been absolutely magnificent since the beginning of the season. But he seems to, for me, to be a little bit slow, to have heavier legs, so to speak, 
And I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Mikel Arteta decided to put Leandro Trossard, who's been very lively when he's come on uh, from the start uh, against Man City. But again, it's it's a very hard game to call because, to be honest, with Guardiola, you also have absolutely no idea whether uh, he will have up his sleeve to, mm. to counter the threat of, of Arsenal. Absolutely no idea of that. But I, I wouldn't take that too seriously. But it's, it's a strange season in many ways, isn't it? Because there are many things which are happening which nobody quite had foreseen. Mm. And nobody is quite dominating the league as we've become accustomed to, be it Manchester City or, or Liverpool indeed. Mm. And um, because of that, I think when things are not working in quite the same way, and are becoming a little bit more uh, actually interesting, where people are dropping points left, right, and centre, uh, which all the top teams have done this season. We certainly think, oh, there must be something wrong. We say, no, actually, that's football. Yes, that's what it's supposed to be like. What we've been living the past five, six years is totally abnormal. We're actually going back to a kind of semi-reality here. Yeah, fair point. Uh, the uh, Arsenal. Uh, Management and players aggrieved, obviously. Uh, two points uh, dropped on account of VAR in their eyes. So Lee Mason is uh, the first ever Premier League video assistant referee. He's in his second season. I think people generally are fay with what happened at this stage. Uh, he took two minutes and tw- 20 seconds to check if Pinnock uh, was A-OK. And then it seemed once he had dealt with the Pinnock situation uh, the, the 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 pressure uh, to hurry up which by the way applies to so many sports at the moment and mistakes mm-hmm. are being made as a result rugby in particular we were just talking about it in the last hour uh, he, he was perhaps rushed and he took just 14 seconds thereafter to do a quick check of the rest of the goal and obviously missed uh, the fact that Christian Norgard was very much offside uh, goal given and I dare say when Lee Mason realised his mistake he had his hands uh, yes. over his eyes and couldn't believe it. So uh, human error, I, I don't know to what extent human error can be eliminated from VAR, but it's it certainly remains a factor. Well, yes, I mean, there are people who would say that um, the new um, offside technology which is being developed would enable to, uh, uh, to avoid this kind of situation uh, where um, a human being is simply, as you said, pressured into making a, a very quick decision. Um, and but that in a way, the biggest argument against the VAR in this case was not the fact that they got the decision wrong, if you see what I mean, or the fact that even it took a long time. I'm being a bit paradoxical here. I think it it, it shows that the idea that VAR would do away with human error is is a myth. It's not true, mm. and um, which in a way is is more problematic, isn't it? So it might be that there are technological you know, advances, which mean, and I know that Arsene Wenger is a big believer in that, in having the possibility of, uh, of such, uh, the ability to track the players on the pitch in such a way that you have almost an automatic signal when a player is offside in mm. a particular situation. So we, we might come to that, uh, which would then uh, create another problem, which will be the fact that there will be two different kinds of football, the kind of football, which is already the case, by the way, up to an extent, kind of football where this technology is available and this kind of football where the technology is not available. So mm. therefore, you don't have the same game. It's not played in the same way, which is also, I think, problematic on almost a quasi-philosophical uh, level. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it was, as you said, at least they put their hands up, um, which is an improvement. Uh, and um, 
let's hope that I mean I, I would like and I think many referees and and perhaps the people who operate VAR as well would be quite happy to uh, to go further in that direction. Like for example, I don't know if you know that, but in MLS uh, the referees do speak to the press after the games, and they have they, they have to answer three questions which are put together by a pool of journalists mm. to explain the decisions they've been taking in the game. Uh, there is no such thing in the Premier League. I can't understand. You know, I, I don't know why because it actually leads to better comprehension of the laws of the game and also better understanding between the different parties. And anything that can help this understanding is a good thing because. The same thing that we thought that VAR would perhaps make things a little bit uh, better in terms of talking about the game, analyzing the game, it's, it's quite the opposite. I mean, we're talking more about refereeing and VAR. That's what we're doing right now, isn't it? Than we have perhaps ever before. So, yeah, it was not a good weekend in that respect, I must say. Mm. Uh, I'm curious for your thoughts on the situation surrounding Manchester United the reports today uh, very much that a Qatari bid will be uh, in amongst the other bidders. So the uh, group handling the sale for Manchester United, they've asked anyone interested to submit their bids by the soft deadline of this Friday. And just in case you're thinking mm-hmm. of bidding, Philippe, they want the bid to be one paragraph long and they want the amount that you're bidding and proof of funds. So you can get cracking. Uh, I'm reading like yeah. s- uh, curious things here uh, about this situation. Uh, the uh, Qatari investors are linked to the country's royal family. I'm also reading the Qatari bit has nothing to do with PSG owners. <laughs> uh, there are certain uh, lines which uh, look completely contradictory to me here. What's your understanding of, of what's coming from Qatar? Um well, it's for me, it's very clear if the money is coming from a Qatar investment fund, it's coming from the royal family. And if it's coming from the royal family, it's coming from the owners of Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, anything else is obfuscation. And that, that, that's as clear as that. Um, there, there was actually talk uh, at one point to contextualize that uh, of um, the Qataris disinvesting for to, from PSG to go somewhere else. Um, it's something which had been on the, on the grapevine for a while. And I don't know if this, it was because they had Manchester United in mind, but the idea that um, a public investment fund um, in Qatar wouldn't be linked to the royal family is insane. I mean, for anybody who knows anything about the way things work in Qatar, it's obvious. Yeah. So um, what I'm wondering is that if we are going to see a, a situation where there is a um, more um, a selling of a stake in the club, like a, a first step, rather than um, you know taking control over the whole of the club, first thing, and the second thing. Well, I'm I'm waiting to with great impatience actually for the identity exact identity of this uh, particular uh, Qatari bidder because I cannot think that it can be any anything other than an institution linked to the Qatari royal family, the Qatari government. Yes, and in which case, well, maybe um, UEFA. And FIFA, but UEFA to start with, will have to look into uh, this topic, which is multi-club ownership, um, which is one which has been swept under the carpet. I mean, it's it's amazing, isn't it? Because uh, I seem to remember that a few years ago, it was really a target of of UEFA um, to prevent that from happening, because Mm -hmm. 
multi-club ownership is leads to all kinds of practices which honestly shouldn't be um, ha- shouldn't happen in the game and that hasn't prevented people from building huge portfolios of club we were talking about the city football group well you know they've got a dozen clubs on their books mm. uh, you've got private investors or investment funds uh, by the way investment funds means you don't know where the money is coming from because they come from an investment fund which is taking other people's money uh, people like John Texter, for example, uh, who's taken over Lyon, but also has an interest in Crystal Palace. And, and you've got dozens, actually. Uh, I think there's, at the moment in um, in Europe, a friend of mine, Steve Mallory, is a specialist of this. I think he's come across more than 200 cases of multi-club ownership. Okay. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. And I hope there's going to be a level of scrutiny. Maybe I'm talking nonsense when maybe there is a super rich Qatari billionaire who happens to be completely unrelated uh, to the royal family and who would like to to put, um, you know, put his money uh, into the club he's always supported and all these sort of things. Uh, I don't quite believe it, but maybe I'm wrong. But in any case, um, uh, yeah, I would love to know the identity of of those bidders um, because should, well, I'm repeating myself, but there, there is a, a major problem here in place and one which football hasn't addressed properly. Mm. As ever, you know, it's, it would be a question of bolting the stable doors after the horses and quite a few horses have bolted. Uh, well, uh, looking the foot, sorry, the football doors a long time after the horses have bolted. Absolutely. Um, we are pretty much out of time. Uh, just if you can, in, in relatively a short amount of time, there was an article that you had written you wanted to mention and push people towards? Yeah, uh, um, we did a, an article about uh, the relationship between uh, Lord Coe, Sebastian Coe, the former uh, Olympic um, double champion, of course, and president of World Athletics and member of the International Olympic Committee. Um, I found out, we found out that he was a, a director, I was told afterwards, a non-executive director, but a director all the same of a company which is directly involved in sports gambling. And I thought, Maybe that's a bit problematic. Not saying that Mr. Coe is profiting directly, by the way, from from this, uh, from the sports betting side of it, by the way. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm wondering is how, how it's possible that such an important figure in, in sports governance, a member of the Olympic Committee, could be linked to a, a gambling, uh, even if indirectly. But the other extraordinary thing is that this gambling company is called Betano and is a FIFA sponsor. And that FIFA have not announced yet that they are a commercial partner of FIFA, even though they were already advertising their wares on uh, LED boards in Qatar and then at the Club World Cup, which has just happened. So FIFA is behaving as if, no, no, we have not done anything. But in fact, the relationship is in place. Must have brought an awful lot of money in the coffers. And it's the first time ever that FIFA has decided to go down that route. And uh, which I think uh, should also be questioned, should also be put to them. But we're not getting any response, I have to say, uh, from them on, on this on this regard. Uh, again, is it healthy that uh, the world governing body of a global sport like football uh, should be in cahoots with the online gambling uh, business and industry? Uh, I don't think so. People might have different opinion, but uh, certainly FIFA has. And Lord Co in his own fashion, and perhaps indirectly, is also involved in that. And I think people should know about it. And I think this should be on the agenda and discussed openly. Philippe, great to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. 
Philippe Beauclair with us live on the line there. Still 2-0 Liverpool at Anfield, 85 minutes on the clock. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky. You can watch all the football you love, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky. Back with you in one moment. Welcome back. Mo Salah could be in here. He's checked back. He's on his left foot. It is saved by the much maligned Jordan Pickford, Michael. Much maligned indeed, yeah. Cost uh, possibly the hilarious fault of the first goal in this uh, 2-0 lead for Liverpool here tonight. Uh, Pickford and Andy Robertson just got into a kind of a semi-hilarious spat uh, just very, before this Very as well. aggro man, Jordan Pickford. Pickford was, yeah. But yeah. Uh, Robertson was massively playing up for it and kind of like aggressively laughed in his face. We're watching it here in silence, so I'm not exactly sure what happened, but... Show me an aggressive sure. laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually do the sound there, which Never. is going to make weird radio. I regretted being on radio more. <laughs> uh, that Manchester united Qatari bid is quite something. So let's just say for a second it goes through somehow. Qatari do their things at UEFA and smooth over that speed bump of multi-club ownership and suddenly uh, Qatar own Manchester United. Yeah. Because of the stench of human rights, more so than money, because Manchester United have spent a billion on transfers in the last decade anyway, so they've been uh, well endowed on that front. Mm. It's, it's not going to be transformative money. I'm sure that Qataris will spend plenty. But the stench of human rights will hang over the club in the same way it's hanging over Newcastle currently. And so any Manchester United achievement, this great historic club, uber successful club, will now have some kind of asterisks alongside it at all times. Like United really don't need that. They're not Man City. They're not coming from that lower base. And you think, well, they well they'll never go for that. But then of course you think, who's Blazers don't it? care about That's that. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like you're saying Man United don't need it. What is Manchester United? It's a it's a it's a limited company, you know, who are owned by a bunch of Americans who I would say don't care, especially yeah. when they wash their hands off this and the feeling is there's a little bit of bad taste. See, in my head, you know? the logic was building and, oh my, Manchester United will never go yeah. for that. And then it suddenly got to, who are Manchester United? Who are, Man- who are Manchester Lakers. United in our hearts and soul? And, yeah. you know, we'll talk to Andy Mitten about that, but who are they actually in real life? It's a company, you know, and they'll be sold to who they're sold to. I Joe Glazer might be persuaded. I suppose the Premier League are the people... Um, and there's a whole interesting conversation there as well as to like the Premier League's um, capitulation, I suppose, in the Newcastle takeover that eventually came in. And, you know, some would say that, you know, they, they blocked it and then they allowed it. But, you know, there's people that say the British government had a lot to do with that. I'm not sure they're going to push Qatar as much as they would Saudi Arabia. Mm. But we're getting into a stage where, look, I agree with you, but with Newcastle and with Manchester City you know you're kind of taking the second tier yeah, and that's, that's, and that, that's a that's yeah, yeah. A, like that's that's a complimentary to them like they're not small clubs but no. they're the second tier of English clubs yeah. and with Manchester United you have like the well actually in some ways they're the third tier because like Arsenal are, are almost a second tier on their own and Liverpool and Manchester United are up the top mm. and to take one of those two teams and, to, for, and then have three state owned teams in the one league like it is a grim, grim prospect. I have to say, like, and I don't know. I'm sure you will give me this about Manchester United. You know, asterisks connected to it and all. We'll get into the exact same. People think we're having a go at Man City fans. It'll be the exact same thing when it's Manchester United fans. Believe me, there might be a few because there's more Man United fans. You might hear a little bit more uh, nuance or a few, a few more dissenting voices. I suppose. 
But it's going to be the vast majority are going to say, you know, what's good for the goose, good for the gander, and why should we not have it, why should they have it, you know. And it'll be bargaining from day one. Mm. This will not affect people's view of Manchester United if you're a Manchester United fan. Yeah, we touched on VAR there with Philippe. It was a bad weekend for <laughs> it was refereeing generally. Dreadful. Across all sports. Yeah. There is certainly something in the fact that in rugby mistakes are being made because there's a great pressure from the, the, the stakeholders at large to you know, speed up how long these decisions are taking to, to be made. And Lee Mason was absolutely uh, painfully aware that he had taken two minutes and 20 seconds to sort out the Pinnock situation yeah. and so hurried up and hurried up and came to the wrong decision. Well, forgot to look for offside. Yeah. Forgot slash was in such a hurry too. Oh my God, imagine the... Ho- I mean, you have to think about it for a second. Imagine you're in that position and like the whole world, the whole <laughs> world is watching, getting fed up with how long you're taking. It is the kind of dilemma for the technology the key dilemma, how long should it take? And that's where, I don't know. I mean, with the low try, if you'd hung on long enough, you'd disallow that. Barnes maybe sees other angles, he thinks differently. Lee Mason spends another two, three minutes well, he gathering his offside is like, it's it's a binary thing that's decided by the lines. The VAR person actually doesn't have anything to do with it. Mm. So, like, that should have just been done as some he sort of, to check that it, should yeah. have been something automatic that was done as part of it. In fact, maybe they should have pick that first yeah you know work, and work your way backwards yeah exactly so look I mean that's but the whole point of VAR and the hurrying things up is like right I actually accept that I don't necessarily I didn't enjoy the long stoppages that we had on a more regular yeah. basis last season but at the same time if you're just going to like rush it through or as they're doing like you know like in Chelsea with the handball situation or various different decisions this year where they're basically like not really going to change the referee's mind no matter what like you know it's a once in a blue moon now it's like well what's the point of having VAR then nobody really wants it but like right okay maybe it's the price we pay because you want the right decisions but they're not even interested in the right decisions now they don't want to they don't want to criticise other referees by saying that they've made an obvious error mm. because of that that bar being set higher, you're, you know, there is this, uh, there is this element that it isn't just kind of like, oh, 50-50 decision, you should have a look at this. It's actually clear and obvious error. So, they're not doing it. Mm. The whole thing is a farce. Like, this weekend is one of those lovely, you know, culminations where it all comes together at the same time and you can have this, you can say, well, what a bad weekend for VAR. But VAR is a disaster in general. Surely we all agree on that. I don't really. You not? No, I'd say if you were to uh, chart it all up, it's it's getting a lot more right than wrong, and I, I don't but, find. But it so that does irritating. a referee. No, but I mean, more right than traditionally would have been right. Uh, two, three, four, is five years ago. Is that worth it though? If there's still so many mistakes, is it worth it? Is it worth like? Do you remember Sergio Aguero scored that goal that was disallowed in yeah. the Champions League semi-final or whatever it was against Tottenham? Right. Yeah. Like ultimately, the right decision was made there but the moment was one it was a great football moment that was completely taken away mm. like bad decisions happen both ways they happen over the course of a game and it's like again I just this is the this, but you're making the Platini argument that was mocked at the time by the way which is what uh, mistakes are part of football they're good like yeah I, I do I, I actually think there's very few that was a chaotic uh, time as well So, but I think very obvious that as in a chaotic move that ended up with an offside being missed but generally bad offsides like that aren't missed yeah you know? okay I don't uh, know I, we're getting into a should VAR exist conversation that I wasn't expecting to have there but. let's not do that let's not do that back in with you in a second
You're with Mike, full time at Anfield, uh, lap of the pitch from the players. You suspect that's an important win for Liverpool. Everton remain in 18th position, so in the relegation zone. One point from safety, Leeds on uh, 19 points ahead of them. As uh, for Liverpool, that gets them moving slowly but surely uh, in the right direction. We are pretty much done this evening. Brian O'Driscoll will be in studio tomorrow. We will, uh, the word on the street is, be doing a slight tangent. So all very exciting. And uh, more besides, OTBAM coming at you half past seven as usual tomorrow morning. Lots for the lads to be getting through. Our football show coverage was brought to you by Sky. You can watch all the football you love, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky. We will chat to you tomorrow. In the meantime, Tom Dunn on the way. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports.